Let's open our Bibles today to Psalm 75. Psalm 75. We are now halfway through the book of Psalms. Uh, we have been here uh, summer by summer by summer for a number of years looking at this uh, hymn book and God's Word and what a journey it has been. God's been so good and learned so much and just uh, in many ways uh, hate to see this come to a close for the summer but it's our last psalm of the summer it is our last song of the summer as we've uh, referred to this series but today we are going to look at these 10 verses in psalm 75 let me pray for us father i want to bow before you right now and ask you to speak to our hearts uh, lord gathered in a lot of different places in a lot of different ways right now uh, we thank you for the way that we're able to study the word together like this. Thank you for the people that you've brought uh, to this time of worship through our online service. I pray you'd speak to hearts. I pray you'd encourage. I pray that you would save those who do not have a personal relationship with you. And Lord, we want to commit this time to you for your glory, for your help. So please do your work in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. We are living in a time when we all have a lot to say about a lot of things in a lot of different ways. Uh, it's fitting that we would be in Psalm 75 today in light of that. You see, in just 10 verses in Psalms here, uh, we have three different voices saying something. Uh, that's fitting, isn't it? In this uh, season that we're living in where we know there are so many voices all around us saying a lot of different things. And we find that to be true here in this psalm. When you look at Psalm 75, these ten verses are broken out here. I would, or I would break them out by saying verse 1 is the congregation speaking. Uh, verse 2 through 5 is God speaking. And then verse 6 through 9 is Asaph uh, speaking. And then verse 10, God says something else. And as we look at these uh, verses, I want to just ask you to hold on to this one singular truth. God has the final word. God has the final word. And I, and I hope that would just be the backdrop, uh, the forefront, the side piece to everything that we say today. When we think about the world we're living in, you consider the life you're living right now, whatever's going on in that situation, that ultimately God has the final word. Let's look at Psalm 75. I want to read these verses for us, beginning in verse 1. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. I say to the boastful, do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high. Or speak with haughty neck. Verse 6. 
Asaph, the writer of this psalm, speaks. For not from the east or from the west and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it. And all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. But I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. Verse 10. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off. But the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. So here are these 10 verses in Psalm 75. Written by the music director, the choir leader the one in charge of musical praise for the temple. He was the Old Testament worship leader. His name was Asaph. And this, these verses here, it's not like a journal entry. Uh, these verses would be actually a song, a hymn. It was put together on purpose to be used for a time of worship. And so you have a structure here. And the structure lays out in a way you, you know, how you might have a song today where you have a verse and then a chorus and you go back and pick up a verse and then a chorus. Uh, you may have a song where one person is speaking but then the pronouns change and someone is speaking in return. Uh, this hymn has some structure like that. And that's why as you work through it, you can see the pronouns change. You can see it go from plural pronouns to singular pronouns uh, to pronouns that refer to first person or second person. And that's how we pick up on the different voices in this psalm. So beginning here, these voices, people have something to say in this song. Number one, if you're taking notes... Let's look at it in this way. God's people have something to say. God's people have something to say. It's verse 1. He says, we give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. So when this song begins and the congregation sings or speaks, when God's people have something to say, what do they say? Well, this hymn, this song begins with thanksgiving. It's like, a, it's like a breeze that blows in hot air. We come out of Psalm 74. It's a psalm that doesn't resolve. It ends abruptly. The psalmist is pleading with God to do something. Psalm 74 was a psalm that began with how long, Lord, but coming right in behind that psalm, Psalm 75, we have this breeze that blows of refreshing words. And verse 1, the congregation says, we give thanks. You might just pause right there where you are and just use that phrase and just see how it feels in your mouth. Uh, see how it sounds to your ears. Just Maybe say it out loud. Maybe whisper it. We give thanks. And it's not enough in this psalm to just say it one time. This 
hymn is written not for us to say it once, but the hymn is written for us to say it twice. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks. It's a psalm that begins with gratitude. It's a psalm that begins with thanksgiving. It is a recognition that they have been provided for by the work of God. And so when they would open to these words and sing with these words and worship with these words, they would be acknowledging that what they had, the blessings that they had in their life, were provided by the work of God. He says, we give thanks, uh, the, the congregation says, we give thanks for your name is near. In this psalm, there, there are names of God that are identifier names. The first verse, we give thanks to you, O God. That's a name. That is an identifying name. Uh, later, the word Lord is used in verse 8. And in my translation of Scripture, Lord is written in all caps. It's a reference to the, uh, the words in Hebrew that we say Yahweh. And, and here, it, it's an identifying name. But in verse 1, when it says, we give thanks for your name is near, it's not an identity name. It is a credibility name. It is a reputation name. It's a reference to uh, how God's reputation is known around them. If you go into a town and you ask someone, uh, hey, I want to, I'm, I'm looking for Jim. Do you know where Jim is? Oh, you mean the Jim? Yeah, I mean the Jim. The Jim of this town? Yes, the Jim of this town. And someone looks back at you and you've identified them by a identifying name, but they might reply back to you and say, I can understand why you would want to talk to Jim. He has quite a name in this place. The, the reference there is, is that uh, of a reputation, a credibility. This means that that person in that town had done things that had become known. He, he had uh, operated in a way that people had observed and had experienced. And that's what's happening here in this verse 1. He says, we give thanks to you, O God. There's his name. We give thanks for your name is near. They're saying all around us, we're surrounded by your work. We're surrounded by evidence of who you are. We're surrounded by your activity. We're surrounded by the fact you haven't abandoned us. You are with us. And they restate that like poetry does with this phrase, we recount your wondrous deeds. And in this way of writing poetry, those phrases are synonymous. When he says, for your name is near... And then he says, we recount your wondrous deeds. That's basically saying the same thing with different words. When we recount your wondrous deeds, God, it gives glory to your name. When we think about your name, we just start counting our blessings. And that's what happens when they're giving thanks here. They are recognizing that God is at work around them. Let's pause long enough here to sing that same song. 
to make those same statements. Maybe you've gone seven days without giving thanks to God. Maybe you've gone five days or three days. Or Can we ever really thank God enough? No. Right now, we could just, as a church family, say, God, thank you. Your name is everywhere. Your wondrous deeds are all around us. When we are preparing to say something, let's make sure that we give thanks for what God is doing around us. Here's, a, here's kind of a diagnostic question that I'm asking myself this week, and I want to ask you. Does a review of my words, does a, does a review of my words prove the recounting of his works? When I would review my words, wherever they are, I write a letter, I say a sentence, I have a conversation, I send a text. If I was able to get a printout of all of those words from this past week, would I find evidence that my speech was filled with the recounting of God's glory? Would there be thanksgiving in my speech? What an important question for all of us to consider today when there's so much to be said. There's a second voice in this psalm. First of all, God's people have something to say. And now, number two, God has something to say. The pronouns change from we to I. In the translation of Scripture I'm using, the ESV, there are actually quote marks beginning at verse 2 and, and then at the end of verse 5. And it's... it's from what I understand here, this is written in a way to be like, this is the very voice of God. The congregation have spoken, has spoken, we give thanks, and now God has something to say. And listen to what God says. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. What a statement. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. Don't get lost in that word equity. It's a, a word that doesn't come easy for us. A lot of times in our culture here in Watkinsville, we might hear the word equity and the first thing we think of is a home. And the question, do I have any equity in my home? Uh, the word equity is used in two different ways. It's used in a financial world, but it also is used as a reference to fairness, perfection. And so here when he says, I will judge with equity, he is saying, I will judge with fairness. I will judge with perfect justice. At the same time, that, at the set time, I appoint, I will judge with equity. Uh, it, it means to be impartial. And then listen to verse 3 as God speaks. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. God is being very blunt here. 
And when you think about these verses as God having something to say, let me show you four things he says. First of all, God says, I schedule my own appointments. I just love that phrase. I just love that phrase. I, I love that God is saying, uh, you know, when's this going to happen? We, we, verse Psalm 74, he says, how long, Lord, how long? Throughout Scripture, you see examples of God, what are you doing in our day? We think, God, what are you up to? Uh, when are you coming back? Why did you do that? When, when did, what were you doing right there? And, and God says, at the set time that I appoint. I make my own appointments. Uh, these things that God is saying ultimately add up together to show that he is sovereign, that he reigns, that he rules. God said, I schedule my own appointments at the set time that I appoint. Then he says, I will judge with equity. Not only does he schedule his own appointments, but God is saying, I set my own agenda. All right, who are we? Who's speaking here? God. And the sovereign God says, I set my own appointments and I set my own agenda. I will work as I choose to work and I will do what I choose to do. I am God. I am the creator. I am sovereign. Number three, here's what God says when he speaks. He says, number three, I secure the world's alignment. I secure the world's alignment. An amazing verse. Love this. It's worth underlining. It just speaks life to us in these days. Verse 3. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants. You, you know what it looks like to totter? It's kind of what this platform will do right here when you wiggle it. it. It just kind of bounces back and forth. And what do we think? If it's got so much tottering to it what do we think we think we need to get to it and tighten it up a little bit we have stools at our island in our kitchen that's when I sit down on it sometimes I, all of a sudden it's like a it's like a ride it's just wobbling back and forth and what I have to do is I take it I turn it upside down and I get a little allen wrench and I and I steady its legs God is saying here yeah the world seems like it's shaking it's wobbly. Things are out of control. God speaks here and he says, I schedule my own appointments. I set my own agenda. And I steady its pillars. I secure the alignment of this world. I hope just maybe if you don't hear anything else today, you would cling to that verse and know in this world it feels like you might say, my world is rocking. My world is tottering. My heart is a little shaky. Here's what the reigning, ruling, sovereign God says. I'll keep you steady. I'll keep you steady. It's the fourth thing God has to say here, and it's this. I say who can speak. I say who can speak. You put all these together. I schedule my own appointments. I set my own agenda. I secure the world's alignment. I say who can speak. You have a picture of a ruling and reigning God in our world. Look at it. He says in verse 4, I say to the boastful, do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. 
Do not lift up your horn on high or speak with haughty neck. In this psalm where we have at least three voices, it is very clear who is not allowed to use their voice. And what God says is, congregation speaks, we give thanks. God speaks, later Asaph speaks. But when God looks at one group, he says, don't say a word. Don't speak. Don't say anything. And who was that? There are three descriptions here of the same kind of person. It's the boastful. It's the proud. And, and he uses the description. I say to the boastful, to the wicked, the one with a haughty neck. That's the description of a prideful voice, a prideful heart. The word horn is used here twice as symbolic in God's word of strength, of prowess, uh, of power. And, and, and he's saying, don't lift up your power. Don't lift up your prowess. Don't, don't walk into the situation with your voice uh, trying to show your strength. to the boastful, to the wicked, to the haughty neck. Don't. It's pretty clear. God just says, don't. Don't boast. God, in every situation of our life, has something to say. And we see here in these verses that when God speaks in those situations, He speaks with authority. He speaks as a sovereign God. And here's what I want to ask you to consider. I asked you to consider earlier with me, re review my words, what does it prove about God's works? Here's a question I'd ask you to consider. God, in this day, what are you saying? God, in this, and, and just create a blank there and put in Whatever. God, in this relationship, what are you saying? God, in this season, in this time that you have appointed, what are you saying? God, what are you saying? And let's make sure that as we give thanks that we're also pausing long enough to hear what the sovereign God of the universe is saying in our life. Number three. The first one, God's people have something to say. The second one, God has something to say. The third, God's servants have something to say. The pronouns change here. Uh, the quote is gone from God. Verse 6 through verse 9, Asaph speaks. It's the servant of God. And he says, For not from the east or from the west and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord, there's a cup. There is a cup. And later he says, and he pours out from it. This is God's servant speaking. And he's recognizing something about God. He's recognizing who God is and what God does. It results in praise. And that's really what we're left with when we do look at God and we see that he's sovereign like we see in his voice in these previous verses. We see that he's sovereign. We see that he's powerful. We see that he's near. 
Asaph says, verse 9, I will sing praise. What does specifically in this psalm, what does this psalm reveal about what God does? Other places, he parts the water. Other places, he um, provides food. Other places, he stops the flood. Other places, he provides water. Those uh, descriptions are given. But in these verses, what does it reveal to us about what God does? What God does is, is that he lifts and he lowers. That's what's revealed in these verses. God is the lifter and God is the lowerer. God is the one that exalts. God is the one that humbles. He says you go... Uh, to the east, you go to the west, wherever. It, it, it's not, here's what he said, it's not where you're from that lifts you up. Who, who, what lifts us up before God, God does the lifting. What he's, what he's saying is God is the judge. God is the determiner. It is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. God is the standard. Not me, not you. These verses paint a picture of God's judgment being poured out from a cup. It's a picture of his wrath that is stored up. And he says he lifts some. We find by the end that it's the righteous that are lifted up. He lowers others or judges others. That's the, the wicked. And he says here in verse 8, And all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. He's saying that, they're, they're, that the wicked of the earth will experience the full measure of God's wrath. The full measure of his judgment. The writer of this psalm, Asaph, recognizes who God is. And with humility, I believe, he's singing this song saying, I have to acknowledge this. God is the lifter. Not me. Not myself. God is the lower. God is the one who judges. God is the one who controls where wrath is poured out. It's a, it's a horrific picture of judgment. In the hand of the Lord, there's a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down. It is a, it is a dramatic scene of a full emptying of wrath on the wicked. Cup, like horn, is used symbolically in God's word. Cup represents, in the simplest way, is, is an ordeal, a, an, a, an horrific ordeal. In our minds, it might be familiar to go back to the New Testament and remember that Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, prayed before God as he headed toward arrest and the torture of crucifixion and his death on the cross. Jesus prayed, Father, let this cup pass from me. Let this ordeal, let all of this wrath that is coming, let all that's about to take place here pass from me, but not my will be done, yours be done. And it is a, 
ties right back in here to these verses of God's wrath on sin and wickedness symbolized in wine in a cup that's foaming out. Asaph is acknowledging that God is the judge. The verdict is in his hands. Fourth and finally, God has a final word to say. Verse 10, all the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. Saying whatever the wicked claim is their strength and their power and their prowess, it will be cut off. It will be done away with. It has no merit in my sight because he would classify them as wicked. But others, he said there are some that would be righteous. And the horns of the righteous, the strength of the righteous shall be lifted up. You see... Do you remember last week we had a psalm that did not resolve? It just ended abruptly. It's like it, was just, it would just keep going. But Psalm 75 resolves. And God steps in with the final stanza, the final word, the final statement. He closes the song and he shows us, I have the final word. Take hope in that. This verse shows us that there are two kinds of people. Those that will be cut off and those that will be lifted. And when I see this cup of wrath that is poured out on those that will be cut off, surely I join with you in saying, how do I miss that cup? How do I keep from being one that drains God's wrath down to the dregs? Well, that answer is given to us in the New Testament where Jesus Christ drank the cup for us. When Jesus Christ went to the cross and died there, Scripture tells us that he bore the iniquity of us all. And the Bible tells us in Romans 10, 9 that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The Son of Man was lifted up on a cross. And His lifting up on a cross is there for us to see and to be drawn to Him. I love how it's said in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So much of Psalm 75 is right there in that verse. Jesus Christ has come as the final 
word. God has spoken in the past, but now today he speaks to us by his son. He acknowledges that just like it says God upholds the tottering earth, he says Jesus Christ, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And then when he says after making purification for sins, that is a, a scripture that if we took a sermon, what we would do is we would unpack how Jesus made purification for sins by taking the cup of God's wrath over sin. And so today, we can praise the Lord because of what Christ has done on the cross. God has something to say. How about you? Would you say to God today, Lord, I want Jesus. Lord, have the final word in my heart. Some prayer to God today where you would acknowledge that your hope, your faith is in Christ alone, God's final word. And he would lift you up. I want to invite you after I pray to sing together, oh, praise him. It's a fitting place for us to end when we think that God has the final word. What we're left with is praising him. Father, today we rest in the fact that you resolve the song you have the final word let our speech be filled with thanksgiving we see in this psalm that you are sovereign and we see Lord that you're the judge and I pray Father for every person that's listening right now that when it comes time for judgment that their hope faith trust would be in your final word, Jesus.